a former trial lawyer and litigating partner in Washington, D.C., now turned NFLPA executive director. He's also the head for their for-profit marketing arm, Players, Inc., architect of Ace Media and creator of the NFL's first athlete-driven accelerator, One Team Collective. DeMarie Smith is not only collectively bargaining rights against the league on behalf of the players, but he's also empowering them to harness their interests and passion projects by educating and accelerating them through the process of concept to company and leading this transformative narrative that we often talk about on the show of the modern day athlete entrepreneur. Let me ask you something. Are you hiring? And if so, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? On building a great business, Rabel Company's advisor, also my older brother, Mike, says we believe people build businesses. Not an Excel sheet, not a business plan. We believe the people we hire will end up making our company successful. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter gets a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. That's fast. 24 hours, you have a candidate. And no juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates for immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. Absolutely free. If you're hiring, you should do this. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash cross. That's C-R-O-S-S-E, partially lacrosse cross is what I'm asking you to type in. ZipRecruiter.com slash cross. One more time. Give it a go. It's free. If you're hiring, do it. ZipRecruiter.com slash C-R-O-S-S-E. When we launched this podcast, we launched our website, suitinguppodcast.com. I encourage all of you to check it out for show notes, links, etc. And when we built the Paul Rabel experience and Rabel events, we also launched a website focused on colorful, creative, and effective digital solutions to appropriately build our business. Your website is your platform. And for all of you entrepreneurs out there, I want you to check out Squarespace. Squarespace does a number of things really well. And as an entrepreneur, you can launch your business and create a beautiful website or online store with their award-winning templates. They're also an all-in-one platform. There's nothing to install. There's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Squarespace provides award-winning 24-7 customer support, which is a huge pain point for most people that outsource website design. You don't have to worry about that with their customer support engine. And they're flexible for any kind of website. Squarespace is used by a wide range of creatives, people, and businesses, musicians, designers, artists, restaurants, podcasters like me, and more. And now here's how you can get aboard Squarespace for listening today. Use offer code RABEL for 10% off your first purchase of a website and domain. That's RABEL, R-A-B-I-L. Visit squarespace.com, use offer code RABEL, and get 10% off your first purchase of a website and domain. That's Squarespace. Make your next move. Make your next website. I'm really pumped. 
thoughts about this, by the way. Thanks for oh, sitting yeah, down with me. Oh, yeah, man. It's, it's yeah. my pleasure, yeah, man. Yeah, it's, it's good pleasure. to see you. It's my first time here in your D.C. office. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, once we get done, let's walk around a bit. I'll yeah. show you the spot. We dig it. Um, it's great. It's awesome. Uh, Gene, uh, I mean, we can talk about it as much as you want. Gene, uh, my predecessor, uh, bought this building in 2007. Um, and the history behind it is just crazy cool. But yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, the, we own the building. We yeah. are on uh, uh, three, four, uh, four, five, six, seven, and eight. We lease out uh, the other building, so it's revenue for us. Yep. But really, the idea behind it was every time we started going through strikes and we rented space, the owners would go to the landlord and get us kicked out of space. No way. So, swear to God, that's how they play the game. Yeah. So Gene swore that if he ever got to the day that they could afford to buy their own building and not get thrown out on the street. He was going to buy the building. Yep. And then that became our biggest asset for a long time. And the idea was, man, if we have to go to strike or withstand yeah. a lockout, we sell the freaking building and go to war. Yeah. That's what we do. <laughs> so two previous strikes leading into the 2011 one, which you took yeah. on, right? Yeah, that was a lockout. So there was two or previous strikes. Yeah, right. yeah. And then the, the 2011 one was, was the big one. Yeah. It was a lockout, which yeah. was, yeah. You know, it becomes an existential crisis, right? Yeah. And you either get through it. You're going to get through it one way or the other. My thing is like working out, man. You you might as well decide that you're going to get through it stronger. Yeah. That's just a yeah. mindset. I mean, that's yeah. just – that's how you got to where you got. You just decide this is going to be crappy. It's going to be hard. It's going to push me to the limit. But I'm going to get through this stronger. And, that, and if you think about it that way, you know, you never want to do it too much. Yeah. But, we got through it stronger. Yep. So I'm sitting here with D. Smith. He's the executive director of the NFLPA, the visionary and orchestrator behind Players, Inc. Uh, quickly, though, Forbes last year came out and said the average valuation of an NFL team is around $2.3 billion, give right. or take. And right. There's 32 teams. Right. 1,800 plus or minus active players that right. you're overseeing and guiding. So we're talking about like a, a an aggregate number of assets around seventy five billion. There are a few companies in the world with global presence, absolutely, that are the size of this beast. And what you've done since taking over in two thousand nine is is not only protect the rights and and look at the traditional CBA metrics, but you've unlocked areas where your players can grow from a career perspective, educationally helping them build a brand, uh, expose them to investments, whether they're operating businesses during the off season or looking for mentorship. Absolutely. So what you've done is created this entity and subsidiaries beyond that have added to the premise of our show, frankly, which is the duality of the modern athlete. Absolutely. And that's it. Look, I mean, I think the biggest change uh, over the last few years was looking at the business of football as something more than just a one-way street. So, you know, when you start looking at team valuations, um, the, the, the breadth, the scope of what we're doing, you know, the only added thing I would say is, you know, if we're looking at a 10-year deal where, let's say that the average revenue for each year is is $10 billion, you know, I was well aware that when we were cutting a deal in 2011 for 10 years, we're talking about a $100 billion deal, yeah. right? And so once you recognize the scope of what that is, that's just revenue that's going to be generated over a 10-year period, 
it seems to me that the only way to do it right is to also embrace the fact that this isn't going to be a one-way street. This isn't going to be something that's just going to be purely owner-driven. It's not going to be owner purely owner-beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, how are we going to get, as a group of players, just as much, if not more, out of football than they get out of us? Yeah. And so this idea of, of creating a world where players have a longer off-season to pursue school – um, giving them opportunities to, to pursue their own business dreams, increasing the level of uh, their education that's paid for under our system, and moving on to a balance of their lives that's better uh, than the memories they had as a, as a player. All of those things weren't just sort of these pipe dream, doesn't this feel better? Yep. No, this is all a value proposition. Yeah. And it's just a question of which value proposition are you going to embrace? And and so at the end of the day, I love the fact that our guys dig the game. I love the game. You like watching mm-hmm. the game. But the value proposition has to be how do we get as much, if not more, out of this business endeavor than anybody else? Yeah. And that's what this is about. Yeah. There, there's so much that, that we're going to talk about. It's really interesting. Previously – you were in D.C. working with some private firms, working with the U.S. Department of Justice, U.S. Attorney's yeah. Office. Yeah. Um, Still in some ways the best job I ever had in my okay. life. In some ways, man. I got to tell you, it was uh, – I dug being a prosecutor. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I think that there's something about uh, being a prosecutor in your hometown and um, – I love the fact that my job was trying to make lives of people, you know, safer. A mm-hmm. um, little bit of a young person's game. I'm not sure I could go back now and, and do all the crazy things. I know my wife wouldn't let me go back and do a lot of those things. I can't follow that logic. You're you're all <laughs> over now. You're young. You're, uh, you, the energy level that you uh, have, you just had surgery on your knee, and you're out here running around hey, a man. week and a half later. It's unbelievable. Uh, yeah. I also don't have anybody shooting at me anymore. So, um, yeah, my wife would put the kibosh on the press job again. But, but, you know, I think that what came from that was, um, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started, you know, there's, there's things that you can bite off in life that are just tough, difficult. Sometimes you don't think you're going to get through it. You don't Mm. see your way through it. And so you rely on all of the things that gave you success or, or, or that you were taught before. And a lot of that has to do with being dogged, thinking through it, looking at things a different way. And, and I think, Probably if there was one job that prepared me for this job, it was that job of being a homicide prosecutor. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you back then, I mean, D.C. had the reputation for being the murder capital of the world. I carried 430 homicide cases, um, tried 110 of them uh, to a jury trial. And, and, you know, I look back on it now and say to myself, oh, my gosh, yeah. how do I do that? I, I couldn't do it anymore. Wow. But you did. And and so I think what comes from that is a, you build a certain level of confidence about your team. Hmm. Um, you learn how to maximize um, the ability of others and not really putting it all on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you learn about the things that made you successful on the field, right? right? I mean, vision, perspective, you know, calming yourself down and staying in the moment. All of those things are things that I think – Either people have the luxury of having an opportunity to learn or you don't. Yeah. Um, and while I don't think I could go back and do it again, the lessons are invaluable. Yeah. Sounds um, like a lot of lessons that cross over into sports. Absolutely. 100%. And you were unanimously elected into this position. Uh, some of the other people that were campaigning may have had more sports background. Sure. 
But not, not even May. Yeah. <laughs> not even May. Not so, even May. So what, tell us a little bit about growing up and, and the influence of sports. And then yeah. you mentioned the crossover skill sets coming from your pedigree um, it, with the private practices in D.C. And now taking on this leadership position and working with the largest uh, sports organization yep. in the world and representing the players and the teamwork on that side. Yeah, you know, I think going back, lucky to have great parents. That's that's where it all starts. Grew up in uh, uh, in D.C. My folks moved out to Glenard, Maryland uh, when I was young. Went to Riverdale Baptist. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we were never as good as uh, your high school, but we tried. Shout I out mean, to Matha. Just a little <laughs> shout out to DeMatha. But, you know, at Riverdale, you know, we carried that DeMatha chip on our shoulders. Um <laughs> But, you know, it was a great time to go to school. You know, you know that the the demographics of the county were changing back then. Um, but, you know, school and sports became, you know, at least for me, um, a, a, a place where I loved playing football, loved running track, loved playing baseball. Um, and it became sort of a great support system because you – that was probably the first time where you learned, you know, what skills you had to thrive, right. um, where you were comfortable, where mm-hmm. you were um, with a team. Mm-hmm. Um, lucky enough to have great coaches just like you. And I think what what any great coach um, gives you, you know, beyond about, you know, what they're able to teach you um, is a person that – you know, knows you a little bit better than you know yourself. Yeah. Um, can push you a little harder than you're willing to push yourself. And and you know, probably just like you, I look back on on my high school football coach as somebody who um, probably didn't go into it to be a life mentor, but came out of it right. being a life mentor because um, hmm. in in many respects, and I talk to my son about this. You know, I look back at high school and look at at where I am now. You know, your high school coach, your college coach, um, th- they are in in a position many times to see you not only at your strongest, but for a lot of reasons, see you at your most emotional um, and physical weakness. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, and as, you know, senior executives, people who, you know, like you are involved in business, you know, once we get to this point in our lives – we're sort of cultivated and trained not to show weakness, not to mm-hmm. not to admit um, failure, not to be in a situation where we feel challenged. Yep. And I think being able to come from a system where all of that was natural and okay, yeah. um, at least instills in you the confidence that you're, it's going to be fine. Yeah. And so I, you know, I don't mind being here and, and being the executive here and turning to people and saying, I don't know what the answer is, or, um, yeah. I need time off yeah. <laughs> or I need to get away. Um, all of the things that, that are somewhat inconsistent mm. with what, uh, senior executive is supposed to be like. Right. I, I think this is really interesting because, stereotypically you're in a leadership position for a sport that many people think has a lot of overstimulation of masculinity. Absolutely. And in the locker rooms that we've both been in, I a hundred percent agree with you. You have to be the toughest guy in the locker room. You can never back down from a fight. You can never be wrong. You always have to be perfect. And that's, and that's that, that, you know, there is a certain culture. Certainly it's bred a little bit, I think by people on the outside of the sport projecting Mm -hmm. inside. Definitely. But you know the reality is 
you, I tell people all the time, I don't spend a lot of time in NFL locker rooms, but you know, one of the quietest places I've ever been in my life is pregame in an NFL locker room. Yep. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you I've know, I don't there. know what you know. We watch the movies and we watch the TV shows, and they're throwing things against the wall and yeah. biting the heads off chickens and all sorts of crazy yeah. stuff. <laughs> um, I know it's the stuff you do to get ready, no, but no. <laughs> but you know, you know, from competing at at high levels. Yep. Um, when you were around um, people at the top of their game, and I don't care whether it's from a sports game or, you know, prosecutors, lawyers, um, you know, the people that you're around who are at the top of their game tend to be quiet, mm-hmm. introspective, understanding what their role is, trying to figure out what, you know, their job is. And frankly, during the course of any sort of, of um, endeavor, it's your ability to analyze the situation as dispassionately as possible and respond. Mm-hmm. And at least for me, that's virtually impossible to do if I'm on an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. In professional sports, I think endurance is what you're referencing for the 10 to 15 uh. year veterans who are staying at the top. We talked about Venus and Serena before right. as one of my former guests. And, and huge fans because that run is decades. Decades. Right? I mean, and, and I look back, you know, one of my heroes was Edwin Moses. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine being a 400-meter intermediate hurdleist and you're undefeated for decades. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a sport where, you know, in both their cases where athleticism rates towards the top and uh, you're supposed to lose your athleticism. So right. the introspection, as you mentioned, and the ability to kind of analyze and continue to improve through the intangible of experience. Just as much mental athletes as, as they are physically yeah. and, and just as much emotional athletes as they are anybody else. And, and you work really closely with all of your players, yeah. which, which is obvious. And, and I've seen that uh, with my eyes and, ear, and heard it with my ears. What, what have you done in, in terms of like an org structure for the NFLPA? Like how does it work yep. from, from you all the way down? And what are the channels that different teams and their uh, spokespersons can can acknowledge you through the best lesson and again from from growing up in a team concept was um make sure you have the right teammates and entrust them to do their job Mm -hmm. that's it And, and so for me um that allows me to avoid a couple of what i consider to be disastrous pitfalls one is micromanaging um where it, it has the dual result of sucking up a lot of your time but also um, taking away from the people who have an expertise that you don't have. And then the second thing is if, if you are trusting of your team, it allows you to, to engage in the type of relationships and the type of time um, that a lot of people would ordinarily consider uh, superfluous. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me, you know, you mentioned guys like Matt Hasselbeck. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the ability that that I have to pick up the phone and talk to Matt um, about the way in which I should be thinking or we should be thinking about certain issues is invaluable yeah. because, you know, everybody would say, well, look, where, where does that fit on the org structure? Where does that fit on what do you want to accomplish for a day? Right. It's just a conversation, a conversation with a dude yeah. who has been in the National Football League for a long time, yep. has seen virtually everything, mm-hmm. and has a certain amount of wisdom 
that you aren't just going to pull apart if you decide that I, I need to have, you know, I need to have somebody write a memo about their conversation with Matt. Right. Having that trust in your, your, the composure um, and the composition of your team allows me to do things that I think a lot of senior executives would love to be able to do, but they don't have the time and they don't have the wherewithal. Right. So, you know, for me, you know, anytime I have enough time to sit back, pull back, and I know it sounds a little crazy, but A, <laughs> think deep thoughts. Um, critical. Just think. Yeah. And, and what I try to explain to somebody sometimes, some of these things are fairly complicated. Oh, and yeah. you just need to be able every now and then to kind of pull back and just think. And then the second thing is to be able to talk to people where mm. you can talk through issues where I don't have to pretend – um, that I know the answer. Hmm. Um, because again, there is this counter, there's this culture that if you're the CEO of this or the president of this, or then, then you're, you're supposed to know. Right. Come on, stop. Well, you know, one of my favorite CEOs is, is Jeff Weiner of LinkedIn. And every day he blocks off, I believe it's something like 2 to 4 p.m. in the afternoon. Busy time for a CEO running a multi-billion dollar company. Uh, for deep thinking. Oh, I, I try and you're to not allowed to walk into his office. Absolutely, I try not to uh, answer emails after three o'clock. Hmm. So from three o'clock until the time I try to get home and be dad, hmm. that three to seven is just a period of time where I just try to stop returning phone calls, answering emails, just try to think through the day. What kind of things do I need to in order just to engage in the process of analytics? Yep. Um, because that's the only time you get to do it. And if you don't, well, at least for me personally, two things happen. One, I, I think you lose a tremendous amount of um, opportunity yep. um, because it's at that, like you said, that busy part of the day mm -hmm. where, where you're on. I mean, yep. you know, your brain's moving fast. You're processing a lot. So if you, if you wait for it to happen later, I think you lose the opportunity of that, that thought capital. Yeah. Um, and at least for me, if I don't do it, it's not so much a question of it not happening. It starts to happen for me at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. Yep. And then I'm a, just a mental basket case from yeah. 11 to like 2 a.m. What's your typical day like? I got to imagine that that there's so much that can happen in this building regularly. You mentioned the leadership and, and delegating roles and responsibilities to your team. And you have about 300 dudes out there who, eh, um, right. as we say, You're Twitter drives the day. a ton of fires. So it, the morning is typically for me um, meeting with the senior leadership team here. So that's eight to ten people. Um, Monday is always a Monday morning staff meeting every day as I'm ch checking in in the morning with those 10 people, mm -hmm. just what's on your plate, what's going on, how can I help? And that's literally it. How can I help? Hmm. And, and a lot of time it's, do we have this just stay out of the way, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, it usually it's about that 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock period of time that if there is what we affectionately refer to as drama, um, we're dealing with the drama. And, and when I say drama, you know, we are in a world now where um, hypothetically, let's use an example of one morning, a quarterback's wife says something about concussions. Right. 
right? right. <laughs> and, and before you know it, your day is being driven by TMZ. Yeah. So it's not even being driven by ESPN. And that's a big agenda item of yours is safety. It's safety, right. So now you're dealing with an issue where, one, I love the fact that it's, it's, it's a family member who is expressing concern about her husband. It has ramifications for how people are perceiving mm-hmm. not only the safety of the game, but the way in which I like our players to now be more in control uh, about empowering and, and being responsible for their own health care to issues about the concussion protocol, to what the teams are supposed to report, yep. to how doctors are supposed to respond. But all of that is in a jumble of this news story that's literally breaking on fire Right. where, you know, there's few days where my day is driven by TMZ. Yeah. But no, so... That's possibly one of them. It's possibly one of them. And so... You know, the first response to it, I think, and and sort of the elementary response is, okay, how do you put the fire out, right? I don't think about it that way. Hmm. I mean, this is a great opportunity for all of our members and all of their their significant others and and family members to probably – what can we do as the PA to – to comfort them about what resources we have available for their family members. Mm -hmm. So literally two days later, I'm sorry, two hours later, I got a couple of calls from current players' wives who had heard the story, Mm -hmm. and they had questions like, hey, if we're concerned about our husband, what resources does the PA have to help us understand what's supposed to happen? That's great. And so you want to respond to that. You've got issues where people are talking about, you know, whether did the team do X, Y, and Z? Well, you know what? Let's let's take a look. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's never just a it's never just a fire drill, you know, for for me. It seems to me that the the only right way to look about these things is okay, you're gonna have to deal with some issues. How do we turn them into something where it's a positive, beneficial um, upside for the people that we represent? Instead of just looking at it the way that, I mean, and I kind of dump on sports writers every now and then, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, where it's just another issue, hmm. you know, where it, I don't like to fall into click world. Right. No, I mean, she expressed a concern about the man she's married to and mm-hmm. his health. So yeah. what are we going to do about and it? And that's really important to you. And we, we opened by talking about the 2011 lockout yeah. and safety being a, a a big agenda item, big ticket item for you guys, and you guys were able to to pass it uh, from a concussion standpoint, from a from a testing standpoint, yeah. but also from limiting practice, absolutely and contact, absolutely. So we want to start there and then work our way back sure. to a CBA in general, and just sure. kind of like educating some of our listeners, and then precedent some of the sure. stuff you and I have gone back and forth. Well, on. you know, I mean, look, and and the frame for it is um, we have a collective bargaining agreement, which you know, if you look over there, it's the it, I actually had them make me a big one, like mm-hmm. it's in print. Yeah, yep, so yeah, literally, it's the sign of like several placards. But you know, the collective <laughs> bargaining agreement is is literally the agreement between players and management mm-hmm. um, that governs every aspect of the business relationship um, between them. But the way that you get there is there are issues that are important to to either side. And, and, and so the idea of collective bargaining, you know, whether you are a steel worker or a coal miner or um, an athlete, um, is how well of an ability do you have as a group, as a collective, 
to sit down as a collective and collectively engage management over the issues that are important to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I sit on the, the executive council of the AFL-CIO primarily because I am such a believer in that ability of a team to collectively talk about the issues that are important. Yeah. And so for us, you know, what started off as primarily a uh, issue of money from the owners to us, the owners wanted the players to give back 20%. They wanted to eliminate our pensions mm-hmm. um, and they wanted players to play 18 games. So that became a economic want by, right. by the owners. Um, you know, I look back on it now and thankfully they locked us out over that power grab because it became a way for us to not only respond to their economic concerns, but to really force a conversation about the health and safety of our players in a way that I'm not sure we would have been able to do had we gone on strike. Really interesting. There are a number of sports leagues alternative to the mainstream, which is what we see in NBA, NFL, MLB where you often hear from a player's perspective, which is mine and, and some of my peers in, in other leagues, right. is that if there's not, in, in this case, a 10-year, $100 billion top <laughs> line to argue over, then like we, we don't have a, a seat right. at the table. Right. And you're mentioning important issues and just being fair. Just fair. Yeah, and, and so why why is that not why is a CBA between and just sports between yeah. players and owners never not mandated at this point that, right. that that issues should be collectively bargained over? Because management doesn't want to management doesn't like collective bargaining. Yeah, right. I mean, if if you um, if you're the king and you can dictate to your subjects how much they're going to pay in tribute, yeah, um, you can have that as let's say option A, uh, yeah. or option B is where the you know the 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 people uh, get to negotiate with you as to how much money to give the king. Well, mm-hmm. I can tell you, if you're the king, yeah, you're always going to choose option A. Yeah, <laughs> I mean option A is pretty good <laughs> if you're the man. Right. If uh, if you're the person who is forced to do it is pretty bad for everybody else so you know as you look at you know the history of collective bargaining um or the history of organized labor over time it's always been this struggle to force the conversation and Mm -hmm. and the way that i explain it to our players let's just get out of the world of collective bargaining let's get out of the world of contracts Um, how many people here would like to have a conversation with their boss about how much they make how long they have to work, mm-hmm. and what kind of benefits we're going to have. Yeah, well, the answer the is difficult questions to ask. everybody, right? Yeah. Management would never want to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. So what collective bargaining gives you is a, is a right to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And so for us, you know, I look back on, on 2011 now, you know, it's interesting that up until 2011, there were no rules about two-a-day practices. There were no rules about, you know, what kind of doctor can treat um, a player. There mm. were no mandatory rules about what happens if you have a concussion. Um, no mandatory rules about um, um, making sure that you um, um, had the, the right or the, the, the ability to question your doctor about treatment. Yeah. And, and it's not like 2011... Um, it's not like 2011 was, you know, the stone ages, right? right? I, I mean, that was yesterday. Yeah. And, and so 
the ability to force that kind of conversation is is not wholly apart from the desire of the Northwestern players to have a conversation right. with with their school about practice time and, and school life balance, yeah. right? It's not different than the University of Missouri players who right. wanted to have a conversation with um, their their university about how they felt that the university was unresponsive to issues of racism. Yeah, and we could probably spend another hour talking about the NCAA. Oh, don't get me going. <laughs> yeah, you could you could get me going, uh, but yeah, but 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 that's right. Right. I mean, you're a person who went through the NCAA yep. system. I'm shuffling Alex off to a, a Division One scholarship, which yep. is which is fantastic. But the reality is. NCAA athletes do not have the right to have the conversation about the issues that are important to them with the people that are, and I don't care what you say after this, right. you're either working for or playing for. Yep. And and it seems to me that while I can literally go around and around in my own brain about whether college athletes should be paid or not paid, yep. um, I do think that there are a couple of things that, that are, are low-hanging fruit, right? I mean... Every college athlete has an interest in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Every college athlete has an interest in in their ability to get their degree versus how much time they're going to be asked to spend um, um, playing a sport. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that that only one side doesn't want to have that conversation. Right. Right. And so for us, um, you know, we won the right to to have that conversation with the owners. By going on strike and suing them. Yep. And and thankfully, you know, and we'll go out and take a look at the wall, but, you know, our history starts off with a, a guy named Bill Radovich, who in 1945, goes, 41, goes off to World War II, comes back uh, as an all-pro, and when he finds out his dad is dying of cancer, the owner of the Detroit Lions won't let him out of his contract. Hmm. And then when he leaves... The owner blackballs him with every yep. NFL team. Yep. And but for that guy working odd jobs, he became a Hollywood stuntman. Yep. He paid for his own legal fees for 10 years. Yep. To sue the National Football League. That that ultimately went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled, oh, you know what? You guys violated the antitrust statutes. Yep. And it's usually that case in each of the sports of, Absolutely. of having getting it started, right? Whether and and we and it's always what I've always found it interesting and, and inspiring. More often than not, it's less a group of people, and almost in every case, one an person, yep. an individual person who, for the most part, knew that their career was going to be over mm-hmm. when they decided to do this, but also knew that even if they won they would never be in a position to benefit from it. Yep. So in a CBA, people often can pin it down to their salary negotiations. There's negotiations on on safety and healthcare and free agency. One that's really dynamic is group licensing. Yeah. And, and you have that nailed down. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then I also want to go off the back of that into Players, Inc. and sure. talk about One Team Collective and Ace Media. But let's start with group licensing. One of, uh, one of if not... You know, um, what I consider to be one of the most important rights that any group of players have in professional sports. Um, and I only say professional sports now because we're not there yet for, for college athletes. Right. But, 
you know, looking at the arc of of organized labor and the ability to force this conversation, you can either force this conversation in traditionally a labor mode, mm-hmm. right, which is either going to be a strike or a lockout, or you can force this conversation when it comes to the right of management to use your face, your likeness, yes. um, and basically profit from who you are while you are at work. Yes. Right? And so we have a group licensing right, which requires any person who wants to use um, five or more of our athletes mm-hmm. that you have to purchase a, um, a license from us. Through you specifically. So, Through us specifically. So EA Sports has to structure two deals, one with the NFL to get right. to get rights to the team logos Correct. And, the, and the league marks. And Correct. then they have to go to you and say, okay, what's going to get – cost to get the players absolutely and if you you know in its simplest frame if you think of it as a jersey the league could always do the front of the jersey because it has the league logo on the Mm -hmm. front it has a number but if you want to do a jersey that has the name of the player on the back and his and his number on the back yeah you cut a deal with us yeah and i and i and i swore to myself hearing you talk that i wouldn't (laughs) go back to the ncaa but talking about ea sports and that college football game we always wonder hey this guy looks exactly like the quarterback from Missouri. Looks just like Tim Tebow, it. right? Yeah, he's, got, he's got player 01 on right. his jersey. And and that's because th- those players don't have a seat at the table to negotiate their likeness. Right. In the Even NCAA. though it's being used. Even though it's being used. Yeah. So you, you look at that college game and you could tell from the facial features, the yep. build, the position – and everything that that player is doing, the only difference is they're using that that likeness and what that guy is doing at work to enrich them, and mm-hmm. none of it's going to that player. So the number five in the NFL. So say you know uh, beverage brand has a deal with NFL and they want to use two players, then they structure that through the NFL and those specific players. Yeah, they have an option. They can either go. Uh, through those two players themselves, okay, um, or they can come to us and we'll do the deal uh, for those two players for you know virtually nothing. Yep. So the thing that we you know really jealously guard is that group licensing right, and the reason why it ultimately becomes important for us is not only um, does it does it inert to the financial benefit of the players, obviously, mm-hmm. but we're the only union that doesn't run on dues. So our group licensing rights last year netted us about $165-$70 million in revenue. Um, We use a portion of that to run the union, pays my salary, everybody's salary Mm -hmm. here. We use a portion of that to run Players Inc., which which is our wholly owned subsidiary. We kick back the largest portion of that back to the players in terms of royalty. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we do with our players' dues money is that just simply goes into a strike or lockout fund. So at the end of the day, for example, hypothetically, when we get into a battle with the league over uh, something small like Deflategate, um, none of that money that we use to fight that battle comes from our dues money. Right. Um, So we literally tell every player, we don't care who you are. If we have to go to war for you as the union, will Hmm. we fight every fight to the death? Answer, yes. And and that gives us, you know, two things happen. One, it, it... it certainly doesn't make Roger and I, you know, great pals and great right. friends, but eh, I'll get over it. Um, but two, it, it also means that we can afford to fight battles that are in the best interest of the player 
um, in the same way that the league can fight those battles. And, and so speaking from, from my side, when, when I played in the indoor league, our dues to the PLPA came out of each paycheck. So right. you would see X amount of $100 yep. coming out in yep. the form of dues, yep. and, and we, that would yeah, go dues to check compensate right. them. Right, right. This structure that you've created, which stands alone across other player associations, was that something that um, you inhabited in the position yep. that you did? Yep. And so is that something that's been around in the NFL for a long time? Uh, started in 1993, and, and mm. it went into overdrive, I would say, uh, early 2000s. Are, are, do you ever have to outsource um, litigation if, if there's, say, there's... 60 cases that yeah. come inside of a week. Sometimes, um, you know, over, over group licensing mm -hmm. stuff, for the most part, if it's simple cease and desist stuff, we yeah. handle ourselves. Um, it, we really don't get many challenges over our group licensing, right? Um, and if we do, we outsource some of the litigation. But again, that's litigation that's paid for out of the budget that's generated by Inc. itself. Yeah. So... Um, I can't think of really the last time we had a major fight over our group licensing rights. I mean, the, the, the gravest threat that we ever had uh, to our group licensing rights was something called the Quarterbacks Club, Yep. Um, where the league realized that the way to possibly put a knife in the union is to go to individual players who were members of our group licensing agreement and get them to take a bribe to yep. give their group licensing rights to somebody else. And they were perceived as the most popular being the quarterbacks Absolutely. because they're on camera the most. They're doing all the press conferences. They're catching the big blue chip non-endemic sponsors. So they said, hey, let's try and – Let's gut the union of those people. Now, it yeah. was illegal because they couldn't legally have the group licensing rights. Yep. But, you know, much like what the league does every day, the fact that it's illegal – rarely stops them um it, hey look it, it's a it's a it's almost like a superpower they just right don't use it for good yeah um but yeah they they did that to a number of players and we had to sue them over it it took seven years of a yep. lawsuit but we eventually won yeah and we got our group license um, um back and it's exclusive but you know what i what what i've tried to you know, it, it, not so much teach, but but make sure that other unions understand is the power of that group licensing right is a power that is far outsized by your ability to simply pay players revenue mm -hmm. from the group licensing rights. If you are able to harness the value of that group licensing right, it makes your union stronger. Your union being strong allows you to negotiate a CBA that's in the best interest of your, your players. So those things are inextricably tied. Yep. A chunk of money that comes in from a brand that negotiates a deal with you for five or more players, yep. does, that, does that get – equally distributed amongst the 1,800 active players? There's no pro rating based on... Equally distributed. Yep. So is, um, that, is that a, a hot topic for any of the guys that are... Not really, because if you, are, um, if you are a prominent player, and let's say that you still have your own individual jersey sale, yep. so you get a larger percentage of your individual jersey sale. But the way that we run the union, I don't care whether you are Tom Brady or the backup long snapper you're a member of our group licensing agreement and we generate money not 
not because of just Tom or not because of just the long snapper. We generate that revenue because it's a group. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, this year, every player will roughly get a check of about 16 to 17,000 mm -hmm. um, as their royalty from the total group licensing sales. And yep. that means if you don't sell a Jersey, yeah, you still get it. And, and to me that builds a certain level of um, solidarity yeah, among players community. because community, because everybody's in, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so to me, the battles in the future for um, uh, organi organizing on the labor front, to me at least, they're going to be more likely fought over this group licensing right than it's ever going to be fought on la the labor front. Yeah. I be think there's this interesting notion that, that pro athletes all want to take each other's heads off, but behind the scenes, you guys are all working together. And, yeah, and and we all do. Upside. And, and you know, I mean, I, I think there's a certain amount of that that people love to sell newspapers or to write goofy yeah. movies. But at the end of the day, I mean, I, I have still yet to meet um, a, a large group of players who actively want to hurt each other. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. you know, from, from playing at, at almost any level, I mean, the first thought that you have is, okay, please get me out of this without, right. <laughs> without me getting hurt. Right. The job's hard enough. Um, yeah. uh, but second, um, I, I think what most people miss um, from, from true athletes who love the game is simply that they love the game, yeah, and and trying to hurt somebody else or 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 even, you know, where it's it's you at the expense of someone at the expense of someone else is something that's all, almost an anathema to that. Mm -hmm. And and if you truly love it, and and to me, the people who tend to last the longest um, in this business or, or or in these games are people who truly have that uh, that somewhat. Zen belief in in sort of the purity sanctity of this endeavor, and there's a limited number of people who can do it, yep. and it's a wonderful opportunity to do it. Yeah, and let's try to get this thing thing on, and we can match ourselves up against each other and and see who's better. Yeah, but you know, doing violence to other people for the sake of doing violence, I I'll be dead honest with you, I just. I mean, I'm not saying it's uniform, but I, right. I haven't met a lot of people who think that way. Yeah, and we've talked about, so far, vulnerabilities. We've talked about tweets and having, yeah. to, having to put out fires, but also looking at an opportunity and yep. brand messaging and Huge. social media. And, and recently, uh, I know this has been kind of expounded by, by the media as well, but you guys went out in support of Rob Gronkowski yep. and being like, hey, this guy's building a brand yeah. and say what you want about him. He's hitting the right channels and he's creating uh, a lot of exponential value that, that's external from his on-field commitment. Yeah. And Bill's on it. Right. Yep. And, and so, I mean, for example, uh, most of our team just got back from uh, rookie premiere. We take the top 40 rookies mm -hmm. um, that have, have been identified both in draft position and by um, sponsors mm -hmm. who identify folks and for almost a week, that's all we do. So um, I didn't go this time because I was uh, uh, getting over knee surgery. But that week is designed exclusively 
to introduce that group of players to the power of their brand. Hmm. So the first time that they ever go into the Madden game, actually, is is that week. There's a green screen. Yep. They get put in the game. The first time they ever put on their jersey, their actual game jersey, hmm. is that week. Um, they get introduced to every one of our major sponsors, from Nike to Fanatics to EA wow, to huge. Panini. Right, and the idea is, yes, it's great for our sponsors and a great time for them to to spend time uh, with folks to develop relationships. Mm -hmm. But most importantly, we've done it for 20 years now because it is a great opportunity to explain to extremely young people the power of their brand in context. Yep. And and what I try to do as a you know a father, what I try to do here uh, at the job, is explaining things to people in context because mm -hmm. then it's meaningful. So you know the way that I look at you know whether our guys are performing well on the field or not, don't get it twisted. You already have a brand. The only question yep. is right: is your brand going to be more marketable tomorrow than it is today? Yeah. And for the most part. The, the one thing that all of those guys come into this business um, perhaps not realizing or appreciating is I don't talk to – and we don't talk to anybody about playing the game. I mean, right. you wouldn't be here if you weren't the best in the world at what you do. So mm -hmm. that part, you know, you know how well your back pedal, I mean, your hip swivel, no, we don't, yeah. we don't get into any of that. Yeah. Um, but if they need that resource, you plug them in anyway. We plug it yeah, in yeah, anyway, yeah. But, but really this is about – um, how well can you interact and understand that the the enhancing of your brand is for the most part going to fall on you? What are you guys doing from a from a resources or advisory standpoint across social media? Are there any platforms specifically you're pushing them more towards or more against, um, or specific language? You know, interesting. And... Like, I mean, there is um, without going into a lot of detail. There's a there's a lot <laughs> of uh, of the against um, okay. yep. because. And and I can sum it up this way: there there are there will always be a lot of opportunities for people to engage in in uh, media or uh, things that uh, might be a fun thing for you to do right. on a on a particular individual Friday night. And yep. I'm not judging; I'm right. just saying you'll have a great time. Yeah. But at the end of the day, is that going to give your brand long term sustainability? The mm -hmm. answer is no. And, and so, and you know, it's tough, but we can talk about it. What happened to Tiger Woods recently is yep. something that you would never want, you know, as a father, you would never want it obviously to happen to anybody in your family. But from a brand standpoint, yep. you know that that's, that's literally the gift that's going to keep on giving, yep. right? And so at the end of the day, if you have to make the choice between a $20 Uber ride right. or this, what are you going to do? Yep. And and that's a value proposition. And, right? and you guys have structured deals with Uber. Structured deal with Uber, now a deal with Lyft, yep. um, which is just designed. Yes, it's a great deal for us, but it's you get free rides. Right. So the idea here isn't um, – we can always make money with anybody. Yeah. But the idea here is to impress upon um, – a group of guys really at a very young age, this is a business. I mean, yeah. I love the game. Don't get it, but don't get it twisted. This is, we'll do what, 13, probably a little bit shy of 13.5 billion in revenue this year. Hmm. That's huge. That, yeah, it's a B. Yeah. It's just, it just happens to be a lot. It's a lot. And if you can go into your local market 
Um, um, and, and I, you know, we, we use this local market, you know, example a lot with our guys because our guys come in and they think about the shoe deal or the apparel deal or the lifestyle yep. deal. Uh, you know, I spend more of our time talking to, to players about, wait a minute, if, if you're a, a New York giant or a New York jet or even a Falcon or anybody else, there is a tremendous local market huge that you have that most of the time, your marketing rep will overlook. You're talking about like financial services, auto, hospitality. Like, restaurants. Yep. You mean all of these things are things that might not net you the $5 million, $8 million a year deal. But I got to tell you, if you're in Kansas City and you're the, the left tackle or the right tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs, there is a huge cachet of local brand that you have that – it would be insane if you're interested in business. It would be insane for you to overlook that hospitality resource. Yeah, um, well, we restaurant. both grew up in the DC area, and I, I can still remember the Eastern Motors. Your Where cars, your cars, your credit. credit, of course. <laughs> which and all the Redskins. We all laugh, right? But we still know the jingle. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. I mean, how crazy is that? Yeah. But these were guys who tapped into a local market, right? And so it seems to me that you know what you should be looking at for the business of sport is we know what you can do on the field and that's great. Mm. But to me, every steak restaurant, every juice bar, mm -hmm. people who are working in the auto industry or, or healthcare, um, that's, that's, that's a place for you. I mean, yeah. we, we're starting to talk to our guys about, um, um, how well they would be in public policy. Yeah, I mean, I, I worked at the largest lobbying firm in the country, and I, I can tell you how hard it was at times trying to get, you know, five minutes with the chief staffer of Congressman X. Mm -hmm. When I show up on Capitol Hill with 20 NFL players, we You're might right have there. 15 meetings scheduled. We'll have 35 that take place. Yep. And to me, that is, again, an ability, a cachet that I'm sure a lot of football players and athletes haven't even thought about. Yep. And and so to me, if we as the union can do something that not only takes care of our guys on the field during their careers, but more importantly, sets them up for a transition into the balance of their lives where they're not going to be football players, man, that's a win. Yeah. Yeah, we want to hit on two things off of, of what you're talking about. The first off of social is recently launching Ace Media. Yeah. And that's the athlete content entertainment media yeah. division of Players, Inc. That's going to be awesome. And it's original content, original series. You're working with Bleacher, BET, uh, 120 Sports, a number of different groups I've seen you cut partnerships yep. with. So now you're actually – helping these athletes create their content, taking it to another to another level, and then probably kick back bite-sized form for their social. Absolutely. So you're building content for them. And, and you know, uh, because of the work you've done, and you've done it in a tremendous way, it's an understatement now that content is king. It's the foundation of business. It, it is the foundation of business now. I mean, you, you know, and, and you know, for, for folks who, for whatever reason, um, uh, don't understand that, you know, especially if you're a, a cord cutter, you know, take a look on your, or your cordless TV mm -hmm. at all the, the, the individual silo networks that have sprung up around sport and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally yeah. there's hundreds yep. and they're all craving content. Yep. So the idea behind ACE and, and we wanted to take the time to, 
set it up the right way was um, we were always doing one-off deals. We do a show here, a show there. The idea behind ACE was, no, let's start thinking about this writ large. Let's Mm -hmm. become co-producers of content, um, leave it to the expertise of the people who do that work, but instead of it being a one-off where somebody writes us a check and we go away, no, we're going to be actually in the business of creating and co-partnering and co-marketing and co-licensing content. Would, would that have been the, the former example, like a hard knocks? Yes. Um, and, and, and yeah, what, what, what really the idea of, of ACE was the, the germination of that was, wait a minute. Okay. So there's, there's this show called hard knocks that probably, you know, any given episode is probably using about eight minutes of actual, um, mostly what preseason game feed. Mm-hmm. Right. But really, Almost 80% of its content is about the players. Mm -hmm. You know, what are they eating? Who are they dating? Where are they going out? What's it like to be in preseason trying to make the team? What's going on with them from a health and safety standpoint? What are their parents like? And so the germination of Ace was really, well, wait a minute. We're talking about major shows that almost have nothing to do with on-field content. Right. So the idea was, then let's think about how do we do this but instead of just sticking with a, a football module paradigm, let's think about it from dating shows, cooking shows, health and safety, wow. golf, lifestyle. I, I mean, I'm not a, a guy that watches a lot of reality TV. Cooking um, shows are huge, though. But they're huge. <laughs> cooking shows are huge. And, and frankly, so are dating shows. Yeah, yeah. I mean... The other day, I don't know how I got sucked into it. I think I was, you know, you know, putting some ice on my knee, but everybody was in the same room watching The Bachelor. It, yeah, and the I Bachelor couldn't get out. Yep, yeah, exactly. and I mean, I know, but it's huge. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But but the fact that, you know, so we started a, a show last year called Catching Kelsey, mm-hmm. uh, tied in with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yep. That was a bat, you know, a bachelor show around mm-hmm. that. Crazy. Yeah. And and so to me, th- this is an opportunity once again. To take what our core functions are of the union, you know, we have this wholly, you know, owned subsidiary of Players, Inc. We create a sub of that sub in Ace Media. And the idea is, well, wait a minute. Let's start thinking about how we can branch out and do things in a way that um, we couldn't have even thought of doing, you know, frankly, couldn't have thought about doing this in 2009 when I got elected. Will Ace ever become if not already in the works, its own platform, its OTT? Yes. So it, it exists now as a separately run uh, sub of Players, Inc. Yep. But um, do I envision a time when we might take a part of Ace Public? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Where it will be um, its sustaining agent drive. We've had great conversations with um, – um, um, uh, the group, the Levinson group that does ballers, yep. um, and, and other entities. But the idea there for ACE is, um, this isn't just football. I mean, yeah. we didn't call it football content and entertainment. Yep. We, we named it athletes content and entertainment for a reason because, yep. um, we want to cut across sports We're we're doing a production, uh, deal for the NBA players association now. Um, and, and so, you know, from that, you know, the twin arm of that on the, on the tech side is the one team collective. Yep. And, and the idea behind that was a lot like, um, 
uh, Ace Media. Yep. How do we go out into the market and partner with startups and entities where they may not have the capital that somebody like Uber or Lyft yep. might have, but really the germination of that idea again was – Let's say theoretically we would have gone back in time and a little company called Uber who was trying to raise capital with this sort of goofy mm -hmm. idea about yep. rides and getting them off your phone. What if they wanted to partner with us where they don't give us money, but they want to partner with us where we want to do a revenue share yep. and we provide them with either – either you know athletes um yep. uh for for advertisement or capital yeah that and, actually and would gonna... have been a terrific partnership because the, their origination was on premium car services absolutely and it wasn't on the ride sharing that they've evolved to we partnered with them because they're a tech company yep and so again the idea is okay so how do we how do we move forward with identifying that tech company now and partnering uh, with them at a point in time where the metrics are more scalable yep. and we grow together. Yeah. And this is uh, part of the greater pie that you've built here. The way that I, I'm, I'm processing or accelerating my learning on what you're doing is, is that you're, we talked with about social media and these athletes building their platform, thus building an audience and a reach. Yeah. You guys helping that through original series, original content. And then the bigger they get, the more organic reach to an audience they Absolutely. have. And that's an audience that startups will pay a fortune to Absolutely. encounter right now. Absolutely. Because while it's it's never been easier to build an audience, it's it's never been more difficult. Right, because you have so many multiple – you have create. a constellation now, right? Yep. There's just so many people out there building brands. There's influencers. There's it's, companies. It's literally a constellation. So, yeah, the, 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 there are lower barriers to entry. Yep. But because there are lower barriers to entry, there's just more people in the business. Right. So you're effectively then taking your athlete cachet and saying, hey, we'll give you access to this in yep. lieu for a position in the company. Absolutely. Yep. And Absolutely. is it always a position in the company or is it rev share sometimes? Or both. Both. Yeah. both. Um, you know, some companies w are, are, are difficult for us um, for all sorts of reasons um, to, to do rev shares with. Yep. Um, so in, in those, we do either a licensing or marketing deal. Um, but, you know, the, the beauty is now, you know, the, in the really the mission to Ahmad and the folks down in uh, Inc. was we partnered with BlackRock and some others to, you know, give us the expertise on how to identify these companies. But really, there's no reason why we can't fashion these things in any way that we want. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it doesn't – I mean, some of them are even rev share slash marketing deals. Yep. So – um, you know, look, you and I have talked a lot about youth lacrosse and, mm -hmm. and the growth of the game. Um, I mean, one fantastic thing that, that, you know, continues to gnaw at me is, you know, when it comes to professional lacrosse these days, the individual players have far more of a cachet and brand recognition than the league does, right? Mm -hmm. So I look at that as, oh my gosh, think about that from a one-team collective standpoint, where you could literally be sitting on what the NFL is today, except in 1955, mm -hmm. right? Um, where, okay, how do we start to figure out, maybe we start doing licensing, marketing, um, and ACE content deals around it, right? Because yep. I do know that when it comes to, you know, the sport that, that you play professionally, and, and I only 
you know, became aware of it later on in life, look at the exponential growth yeah. that is occurring in a market that is not only going to be paying attention to what's going on on TV, but in five, six, seven years, it's a market that's going to be expending some capital. Yep. Right? And the consumer demographic is great. It's crazy. Yeah. I and- mean, it might be... <laughs> It might be the craziest consumer demographic of all time when yeah. you think about it. Yeah. I mean, they're at the top of the charts on everything from like, you know, uh, location, spending, spe- location, second screen users, all of it. I mean, when you're when you're watching prime time last night, I was watching. I guess I was watching the end with them of uh, of the national lacrosse championships, yep. high school lacrosse championships taking place in, yep. in D.C. right now. I mean, come on. I mean, 10 years ago or 15 years ago when you were at DeMatha, could you ever imagine playing for a national – one, playing for a national championship. Yeah. And then two, it's on a network that's being shown on prime time. Yeah. You would have gone, "Uh, yeah, right, sure. Yeah. But now think about where that is going to be in five years. Yeah. So, you know, you look at that that, that the the low barrier to entry – all that means is if you're able to find the right content that's marketed the right way and it has um, um, the right seeds to, to, to grow, the growth rate is not a you know eight-year, nine-year, 10-year, 11-year growth rate anymore, right? Mm-hmm. It's three years. Right. And boom! I mean, we're you and I could probably name you know on on our hands and fingers the number of college coaches and college assistants who've stopped coaching in college in order to go into the private yep. market on lacrosse mm-hmm. alone. Yep. Right. And that is because there's something there. Right. So to me, the the idea behind Ace um, and Inc. and the One Team Collective um, is really to stop looking at the athlete as this fungible commodity that has a shelf life of X and that shelf life is purely dependent on how well he or she performs on a given field. Mm -hmm. It's to actually look at them as a three dimensional human breathing person who has every right to maximize um, their, their own ability as anything else. And, and why should we leave all that fun to the owners? Yeah. I think that's great. Taking athlete creative and business and, and and leveraging the platform. And you've done a great job of of putting that together. I mean, I, 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 I'm now at the point now where the folks here are so good that my primary job is just to stay out of their way. Um, (laughs) You're just just really humble. I just really just try to, let me ask, let me ask you some questions about, we we talked about your deep thinking. I appreciate you taking your deep thinking time this afternoon. Afternoon to, yeah, to talk great. with us, yeah, awesome. but other forms of inspiration for you. Uh, let's start with with mentors or folks that you look to now yeah. in the space um, that are helpful. Or I've useful. just been really lucky, you know. I mean, we started off, you know, talking about you know coaches. I, I still see my high school coach. He works hmm. uh, at a local business down in Bethesda, and um, you know, I, I can't ever repay the debt, you know, that, that, that he gave to me. But, you know, from there, obviously I was fortunate enough to work with, uh, uh, a guy named Eric Holder, who, who was the attorney general at a time. He was my U S attorney. Um, um, and whether it's him or, you know, high school philosophy professors, um, I've always been able, I think, and been lucky to have folks who wanted to invest their time in me, 
in ways that were beyond whatever their their job duties were, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I had a you know, Dr. Gary Persisepi is now a professor of philosophy at um, at Fordham. I mean, you know, I mean, he could have just been my class guy and taken my paper, graded my paper, gave it back, said you're a terrible, you know, student, and and moved on. <laughs> um, but but he didn't, you know. And and I think when you find those folks that you can chat with, you know, people who are like-minded. I mean, folks, you know, you and I got connected Mm -hmm. and and had a really great conversation, I guess, two years ago um, at at the lacrosse finals. But, you know, when you get to meet folks who share a passion, um about life and, and, and like, uh, and, and the, one of the things I have to say that I gravitate towards in the sports world, um, athletes who see themselves as more than just what they do. Yeah. You know, what I try to tell each and every one of our guys, look, I dig football and I dig it. Um, I love it, but football is what you do. It's not who you are. Hmm. It's really good. Right. I, I mean, and, and as long as you can do it, that's great. Yeah. But the minute that you start defining yourself in, in such a one-dimensional way, I mean, imagine all the other things you're losing out on. So, yeah. you know, for me, it's always been professors, um, folks that, that I've been able to meet who've been willing to, to take some time and, and, you know, make things simple for me to understand. Yeah. Um, and I think that then it falls on people like us to, to really pay it forward um, because – if you don't, I mean, I and this is like the one, you know, the only thing that kind of keeps me up at night. Um, I mean, you know, there are forces and, and some people who are okay with a world of have and have nots, right? Yep. And and a and lot, I think. a lot, probably more than probably more than, than we'd want to to yeah. admit, right? Mm-hmm. And and they're very comfortable with. Um, um, an unbalance of power. They're they're comfortable with an inequality mm-hmm. among status, and and I, it's just not a good place for us to be. And and so I think that anything that we do that can empower an individual to 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 be more in control or responsible for their lives um, is something that we have to do. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, look, do, do we have battles here at this union? I mean, you know, we talked about all the good stuff. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you know, I would say there's a fair amount of what we do here where we turn to the other side, tell them pack a lunch because, man, we're just we're going to war. Yeah. And 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 at that core is the only thing that gets under my skin when I'm dealing with the league is sometimes that belief oozes out of them that um our guys should just feel lucky to play yeah and you should be lucky to play it's being financed by the oh and and that we're giving you this opportunity well come on champ i mean if i wasn't as good or if if our players weren't as good as they were we wouldn't be here well i think that's one of the challenges or things that get under my skin in lacrosse is is a different conversation because we're not seeing we don't anywhere near see the revenues that right, the NFL right. does, but it's that, hey, we're all in this thing to grow the game, and by grow the game, we yeah. should be donating your time right. and doing this appearance for free and Absolutely. getting out to this. And it's like, you know, we do a lot of sure. services. And that's great. And it's great, but... But it's not... Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, right. it, it should never be this, you have an obligation to devalue your worth 
so that you're growing something that is disproportionately going to benefit somebody else. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, we work hard to keep, you know, our nearly 50% of revenue. And, and we think that, you know, that's okay. Do I think 50% is our limit? No. Right. No. Yeah. I mean, it, the last time I checked, I have still yet to see an owner who gets hurt at a game. And, and it's probably the same thing with you, right? I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't pay some money right. to have an owner put on a right. helmet and run out on the field. Yeah. I might go to that game and watch it for the nanosecond, right. you know, that he's conscious. Well, I but, think you're right. I mean, I don't think just because someone's financing a project means that they're entitled to 50% or more of it. Absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, we see it in the startup world now. People finance a startup experiment and take 5% of the company. <laughs> Absolutely. Because the talent is, is driving everything else. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that ability to, and you know, it's hard, that ability to get that person, you know, that person who is, is, is providing the talent to recognize and appreciate the value of their talent is sometimes hard. Mm-hmm. But once you get there, it's literally like the blinders go off. All yep. of a sudden you see it for what it is. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's... You know, it's me trying to burn down every house and, you know, um, but no, but it's a, it's a real, um, appreciation of what you are contributing to, um, the endeavor. And when you add the fact that, um, you know, you've played 10 years, but most guys aren't going to play 10 years, right? you know, so not only are they providing the talent, but their window for realizing that Mm -hmm. is fairly low. I mean, imagine if you went to a startup and somebody said, well, you know, we have this new whiz bang. We want you to invest, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, but, Oh, here's, here, here's the cat, you know, after two years of you investing a hundred thousand dollars, you're going to explode. Right. Well, you know, I'm thinking that the guy who's investing a hundred grand is going to say, I I want something more than 5% return. Right. Because I'm going to explode in two years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's our life. Yeah. I mean, and that's the life of an NFL player. It happens to be three years. Three years now. But to me, it it, it should mean that, um, you know, and the reason why we have such fight to the death um, issues over um, paying a guy or making sure that a guy gets 100% of his guaranteed money. You know, somebody, you know, asked me the other day, how come, how come you guys fought or might spend, you know, we might spend... We might spend a hundred and fifty, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars fighting over a ten thousand dollar clause for a player's contract. Why? Well, because that's his ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and and the value proposition shouldn't be I'm only going to spend eight to try to get you ten because yeah. then the owners would say we're going to nickel and dime them to death. Yep. No, if you guys that's the contract you wrote to the guy, honor the contract. Yep. Are we going to fight for it? Yeah. That's yeah. To great. the death. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and that goes cool. back to your structure and, and, and why it makes so much sense. We dig it, and and um, I dig it. And and it's not not so much because I enjoy a fight every day. I mean, I do, but I do. <laughs> um, yeah. Your background. You know, you're good at that's it. That's what we good. I'm yeah. good at it. Yeah, I'm an equal opportunity bad guy. Yeah. but That's you on the field right there. That's what we do. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it is, and I think it's some people like that and some people don't. Um, some people don't like it if you're like that and that's okay, Mm -hmm. but I'll tell you what, if, if, um, if we, if we 
this is a country that I, I would argue is is built upon people willing, for whatever reason, to fight to the death for principle. Mm. I mean, when haven't we been, you know, a country where I don't care whether it's the women's suffrage movement to the civil rights movement mm-hmm. to what's happening at, at Missouri to mm-hmm. – What's happening with with immigrants who who want to stand up for the Dream Act to mm-hmm. people who've been fighting for gay rights? Gay rights. Yep. Same, I, when haven't we had a group of people who have literally been willing to fight to the death, knowing that in all likelihood they're not going to live to see mm-hmm. that individual dream come true, but they're just paying it forward for somebody else? Yeah. I mean, the minute we become selfish and we start going, well. Eh, you know, I'm only going to fight for this like 60% because, well, I've got other things to do, yeah. or I'm not going to live to see a benefit of this. That's a day where we're going to have a problem. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, man, I, I don't know how long I'll be here. Every day is fun. I'm, I'm still digging it, still enjoying it. Um, uh, I, I know I enjoy it more than my wife does. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, it. I, I look now at where we you know, where this organization was in, in the 1940s. And um, Ed Garvey, our first executive director, passed away later this summer. But knowing where we've come over the last three executive directors and, and what's going to lie in store for the person who comes, you know, after me, whatever day that is, um, you know, I think as long as people buy into this tradition that we're going to be there yep. um, and we're going to grow in ways that um, are unanticipated and, and not easy, um, but man, I mean, to think one day, I, I want to know what makes me excited is where's is one team collective going to be in, in year five. Yeah. I mean, just year five, right. right? You know, where is ACE going to be, um, two years from now? Yep. Um, and whether it's, you know, interesting thing like wearables, yep. um, you know, we've, we've moved heavily into that area. All of this stuff is stuff that is not only important economically, obviously, but I think really, really important to what it means um, or what it's going to mean to be an athlete. Yeah. For the Uh, person and for the business. For the person and for the business. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I mean, the amount of of data that people would want to collect from you. Um, the ways in which people want to connect with you. You're probably referencing your Whoop deal, which was big because it's It's huge. allows your athletes to monetize. Uh, it allows them to gather information on performance, on recovery, on injury prevention. And take ownership uh, of it themselves yeah. as opposed to perhaps being in a world where – Did um, you beat the team to it? We did. We did yes and no. Um, we have uh, – under the C- new CBA, we have um, – we changed the language in 2011 and we inserted language that says – that um, the team can collect certain information. Mm-hmm. Um, it's silent on their ability to use it. So mm-hmm. we didn't give them authorization to use it. And if the Like public-facing use it, like push that out correct. in the market. Which would be bananas for fantasy sports. It'd be crazy. <laughs> It'd be crazy. They just can't do it. And, and just for gambling. Oh, it'd be Vegas crazy. would be nuts. Oh, look, that's a whole nother yeah. 
That's a whole. I mean, literally, the you biggest see his thing. Heart rate go up, and all oh, of a sudden, the betting shifts. That's and the exactly line, right. The that's exactly on right. Vinatieri's well, kick. Think about fatigue, you yeah. know, and and you know, Vinatieri's heart rate will probably remain stays level. the same no matter what. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the guy. Yeah, it's like a roller coaster, kicking a field goal, drinking a latte. It's just all the same. Um, but yeah, but you can imagine the the implications of this data down the road and and literally the biggest thing on my plate right now is is figuring out gambling uh and gambling mm-hmm. revenue wow. but but and and everything else that you know is yep. layered into that but and you guys have a position with one team collective right yes with, was it DraftKings? draft king draft uh no with uh with um we did it with ink we yep. we took positions in both both, both DraftKings and fanduel right um and and uh, and those you know were important to us to figure out the market, mm-hmm. um, but you know the the issue of of the ability to gather data from an athlete is so interesting on so many levels. I mean, imagine a world now where again there's few things that keep me up at night, but think about a world where by the time um, starting now, by the time a four year athlete graduates from college, how much data is collected about that athlete um, and harnessed in a way where there is an imbalance between what the athlete might know about himself and what the university or a professional team might know about you coming out. And, And, you know, I mean, you know, in the old days, it was how high you can jump and how fast you can run. The NFL Combine is just a media play at this point. That's there's, all it is. There's there's far better intel out there for these GMs and presidents about well, these athletes. And, and right? they use the – again, it gets under my skin. They really use the, the Combine right now to subject a player like you to hours and hours and hours of invasive medical testing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we had a – case i think three years ago now for so long they keep doing it they just keep doing it and we can't stop it so we don't represent the players at the combine because they're not pro athletes got it they're not they're no longer college athletes (sighs) so they fall into this donut hole where they literally waive all of their rights and we had a case three years ago where um during a course of that medical training they found a heart defect in one of the players and didn't tell him well, wait a minute. Yeah. So one of the things that we are doing now going forward is when we do get to the combine, um, because we do arm twist our way there as a union presence, we've started to give medical waiver forms to all of the players that also has a line in it saying that any medical testing done by them has to be shared with them. Mm. So at least you're getting. Wow, that's not even in place right now. No. Unbelievable. I think I suppose on a micro level, this is uh, another entire entity on its own. You call it a donut hole, but it's going to take one individual absolutely. to go along in a lawsuit to well, get that to absolutely. get that donut um, represented. Well, and and I think that's one of those things. I mean, we push our agents kind of hard, but um, you know, we're at that point now where I think you can make the case that if you are projected to go in the first round. I'm not sure why you go to the combine. You don't do it. 
Because well, they just get the pressures right now that we're talking to the ownership. They just get gets. pressure, right? The media then starts going off on them, and the owners are saying, "Well, we may not take you." And well, and my thing off. is, if you're projected to go in the first round, you're going to get drafted, mm-hmm. no matter what. My my argument to you, it and and you know, if you were headed to the draft coming out of, sorry, headed to the combine coming out of school, and you were projected to be one of the top thirty people going. Mm-hmm. I would have a serious conversation with you as an agent as to why it's probably not a good idea for you to go to the combine. One, whatever medical um, testing that's going to be done on you is going to be information that is going to benefit the owners it's and all not downside. you. It's all downside. <laughs> You're either going to perform at your same level or right. worse, which right. is a downside. Yep. And third, what top 30 player hasn't already performed at his pro day? Right. So... You know, for the life of me, I'm saying to myself, why don't we just go to regional pro days, mm-hmm. right? And that's, frankly, before, and again, we promise not to talk about the NCAA, but the reality of the combine is it occurs during the middle of what should be a senior's final semester in school. Mm. So how can the NFL and the NCAA, in good conscience, sponsor this exclusive tunnel to get to the NFL Yeah, that happens to occur when you would want your son to be hmm. in college. I had never thought about it from that angle, too. And well, so, makes a lot of sense. I, well, my thing is, like, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, Mark Emert seems to me to be a pretty smart guy. I yep. mean, we don't go out to drinks or, or, or anything <laughs> and probably never will. But, you know, it's hard for me to believe that for a guy that's got a doctor in front of his name, yep. that he hasn't thought about this before. Right. So why wouldn't we want to have players staying at their university, working out at their pro days, hmm. and graduate? Because yeah. all the college scouts go to the they go to the pro days anyway. Yeah. yeah. So so then you're confronted with this. Okay, this is a common sense thing yeah. that's not too hard to figure out. Why does it continue to occur? For some of these guys that do get drafted. Uh, that you get an opportunity to speak with and then other veterans. Is there any, going back to the inspiration, is there any book in particular Mm. or source of information that you like to pass along and say, hey, guys, I think this would be useful for you? uh, So on the sports side, a huge fan of of my favorite nonfiction author is a guy named Taylor Branch Mm -hmm. um, who wrote Parting the Waters and – um, uh, a three one of the won the Pulitzer Prize for his three volume um, uh, books on uh, America in the King years, but hmm. um, ultimately it's fantastic. Yeah. It, I've got you know, I'll, I'll send. I'm going to email you copies. Okay. Literally, <laughs> and they'll be I in have, our show notes. I too. have um, I probably have eight versions of both books. I just give them out as gifts. There you go. Um, but Taylor Branch also wrote. Um, it started off as a, um, uh, uh, Atlantic article. He wrote the shame of college sports. Hmm. So he did the history of the NCAA. Mm-hmm. And I think for any athlete or any person who truly loves the game, forget, forget your conference, forget yep. your school, but for anybody who truly loves, um, college sports and what you know literally thousands of men and women do in college um for the beauty of the game that that article the shame of college sports is fantastic 
Um, one of my great mentors before he died was Marvin Miller, mm-hmm. um, former head of the uh, MLB Players Association. Mm-hmm. Um, and his book, A Whole New Ball Game, mm-hmm. um, is fantastic. Um, but really, the the book that probably had the has the biggest impact on me. I mean, I know it sounds like a, I almost hate to say it. It sounds like a complete dork. But um, there's a book called uh, by Thomas Kuhn called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. Cool. And it's um, it's kind of, it's probably required. I think it's required reading now for most people in med school. But Kuhn's theory, you know, late end of 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 this century was while. The, the common view was that um, uh, medical breakthroughs kind of happened slowly by building on previous knowledge. His theory was just the opposite. His theory was that, that medical technology, medical breakthroughs tended to happen on revolutionary scales. Hmm. Um, and so he goes through a, a, a number of, of historic examples, but the idea is that if you cannot somehow think outside the paradigm, you can't change the paradigm. That if you start off with the paradigm or whatever way of thinking that you're somehow limited to this model and you might tweak this model and mm-hmm. it might get better or might get worse – that you never achieve um, um, breakthrough or sustainable change. Greatness, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I, I'm sure it was. It was. It, it was. It, it makes a ton of sense. Well, and and think about like the way in which you've approached, um, you know, everything from okay, obviously fantastic lacrosse player in high school, fantastic player in in college, reached the highest level of what you you could probably reach given the way in which you played as an athlete, but that wasn't your paradigm. Right. Right? Your paradigm was like, whoa, 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 I'm not done. Right. And so, you know, you might have people who decided, well, I'm just going to, you know, take what I've done already and tweak it a little bit and try to milk it out this way. You didn't engage in a milk it out. Nope. No. It was, you know what, I'm going to bust through this existing paradigm and do something completely different. And I'm going to pull something from social media. I'm going to pull something from communications, marketing, sustainability, my own corporation, and think about, wait a minute, hold on. I've now created something completely unique and different and new. Yeah, That's not a evolution of a paradigm model that's a explosion of a paradigm model and so for here that's what we do and and so you know people ask used to used to ask obviously like when we were doing the cba how come you guys are putting all this health and safety stuff in the cba well my thing was why wouldn't we right I mean, yeah. the first doctor, you know, and, and we can close on this or go anywhere direction you want to. The first time that any medical doctor had ever been a part of CBA negotiations was in 2010. Wow. Well, think about it. I mean, I'm like, well, so I get here and I'm like, well, well, wait a minute. I mean, so when we're talking about all these practice rules and this and that, you mean we've never had a doctor giving us his or her advice answer was no. Yeah. So we've had a medical director. I started making him come to every CBA meeting. 
Wow. Because that was a guy that you could actually turn to and say, oh, by the way, should we be having two-a-day practices anymore? Yeah. And after we consulted with all of our neurologists, they said, no, that's really the dumbest thing we've ever heard. Right. Well, I think it's amazing how you're not only in this position and are thinking broader and, and, and empowering your athletes, but what you talked about early on in, in embracing vulnerability, mm. intellectual curiosity, um, working with your peers, um, being able to, to approach your, your business endeavors with vigor, but also it, it, you know, embracing the fear. In, passion, in going yeah. on Passion, and and so, uh, you know, again, during your deep thinking hours of the day, really appreciate <laughs> Man, you walking too. us through it. You're, you're, I tell you what, it, it starts with folks like you and, and others that are mentoring athletes like me to, uh, to really emphasize and, and go long in this duality of, of hmm. modern sports. Well, it, it, look, I mean, we can only do so much. I mean, it, you have to have people who are hungry, willing to learn and embrace all those same things that you mentioned, right? I mean, fear to me and, and uncertainty and, and doubt, mm-hmm. you know, to some people are those are the things that they just want to put into a box, drop it no, into the deepest part it. of the ocean. Right. Most of our life is made of uncertainty, At, though. It, and, and so embrace like, it. That's yeah. right. Put it in a box, drop it into the deepest part of the ocean, right. and then, you know, kill the guy who wrote you out there. that's why they don't change. That's why they don't change. And, and to me, embracing uncertainty, embracing doubt, harnessing your fear, um, that's what this stuff's about, right? Yeah. And because everything else is the current paradigm. Yeah. It's everything outside the paradigm that gives you fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And, and so... Hmm. But you have to have people like you who are truly willing to embrace it. I mean, and and look, I mean, I love our our guys, but I'd be lying to you. There's some guys who don't. It just isn't their bag, you know. They're right. just they're like, okay, man, hey, D, I just I just want to play football. Can you leave me alone? Yeah, <laughs> give me the check. And and you know what? Those dudes hug them. Yeah, more power to you. Yep. But it's it's that you know it's those four or five guys in the room, you know, six guys in the room after a after a meeting, who hang around, yep. you know, who come up and say, man, I heard you say this. I mean, what does that mean? That's what makes this job cool. If you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, and it was packed with anecdotes and lessons, be sure to subscribe to the show. Also, be first to listen to future episodes, as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with New England Patriots dynasty head coach, Bill Belichick, or world-class tennis star and entrepreneur, Venus Williams, and 14-time Team USA world-class soccer captain, Julie Foudy. You can catch all of these episodes and more on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you listen to your pods. Shortcut to our show notes, athlete lists, news, and headlines, visit suitinguppodcast.com. Shout out Rabel Co. CTO Neil Savage for the development and design. Also a shout out to our show's sponsors today, ZipRecruiter and Squarespace. Be sure to support them the way you've so graciously supported this show. And as always, thanks for listening. I'm actively welcoming your feedback and suggestions. And you can tweet at me, it's probably best, at Paul Rabel. It's early days. I promise I'll respond and I'll be sure to check in with you guys next week for an all new episode.